We're continuing our series called Following Jesus, His Life and Teaching. And uh, you should be getting one of the handouts for the upcoming Sunday. So that's for next Sunday. And the idea is that you would be able to read through that, reflect, um, use that as a, a devotional reflection or just even as a reading. And uh, I know somebody who has uh, pinned it up to their um, wall in front of their kitchen sink. Doing dishes. Down in the dishwasher, look back up. Down in the dishwasher, look back up. I don't know how frequently they're looking at it, but anyway... They even sent me a text picture of it. It was pretty cool. I, I texted back, wow, exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. Anyway, this morning we're continuing in a story where Jesus has healed a man on the Sabbath, which sounds like an awesome thing to have happened, and it was. But the religious leaders were not happy because they saw Jesus' action as working on the Sabbath by healing this man. And so Jesus responds to their accusation. And his statement is, my father is always working and so am I. Now, we have to kind of hear the impact of that because the Jews believe that the Sabbath day, as Genesis says, is holy to be set apart and that no work is to be done on it. But Jesus here is saying, my father's always working. Scratch your head a little. Something's, something's different there. And we talked about that a little bit last week, what that might have been, or at least parts of that. Essentially, though, what Jesus is mostly saying here is that what he is doing, his actions were being done with the father. And this then really flipped out the religious leaders, as John tells us in verse 18 of chapter 5, for this reason, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, meaning they had been previously seeking already to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father, thereby making himself equal to God. Da-da-da-da! The father and the son are one. They are equal. And Jesus then responds to them with a fairly long, detailed explanation that we're going to be looking at over the next couple of uh, weeks. We've, we touched on some of this last week, and then this week, and then next week. Last week, we looked at the first part of Jesus' response, where Jesus further describes his relationship with the Father, saying, uh, Jesus said, truly, truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Now, I need to interject here um, something. That word, truly, truly, sometimes translated verily, verily, which means what? What does verily mean? Oh, well, I don't know. Anyway, uh, the Greek word is the word... Amen. That's the word, and what it means is it is so. Some people got a little head start on this in our corporate prayer a minute ago. So, we use it at the end, 
And I've suggested that the word for us as we end our prayer should have the intensity of God let it be so. But the reality of the word is it means it is so. So in the context of this, Jesus is essentially saying to us, hey everybody, I'm going to tell you something that is so, that is true. Hey everybody, listen up, I'm going to tell you something that is so, that is true. He says it twice. That, that's, that is called emphasis, you know, right? Let, I'm going to tell you something now. The son can do nothing on his own but what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does, the son does likewise. So let's finish out. I want to read all the way through uh, verse 30. We're not going to cover all of this, but I, I felt as I prepared that we need the context. So here we go. And I just read that twice and we have to read it again. Jesus said to them, twice, <laughs> it looks like in my notes, truly, truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. The son does also. The father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and he will show him greater works than these, so that you will be astonished. Indeed, just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whomever he wishes. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. It is so, it is so, I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes me who sent me has eternal life and does not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I tell you, the hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live for just as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Do not be astonished at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in their graves will hear His voice and will come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek to do not my own will, but the whim of, will of him who sent me. As I worked through this passage this week, it seemed to me that there were three topics or emphases that Jesus has in this response. Keeping in mind, this is a response to the Jewish leader's condemnation of him, as being a sinner, breaking the Sabbath and calling God Father. Here is his reply to them. Three things. One thing he emphasizes is the relationship that he has with the Father. The second is the topic of judgment. 
And the third is the topic of life. We're going to look at the first two this week and then look at, uh, we'll cover the third next week. But before we go there, let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you give us ears to hear today what you are saying? And Jesus, would you help us to understand what you meant? And if there are misunderstandings in our thinking, would you bring light to that? And would you help us to grasp the truth of what you are saying here that is so? In Jesus' name, let it be so. Before we look at these elements of the relationship between Jesus and the Father, I want to emphasize something that I did and have continued to do throughout this series. And I believe it's something that's very often missed, but it's very, very important. And that is that the relationship between the Father and the fully human and divine Son is an example and demonstration of the relationship that we are to have with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Everything about the life of Jesus was an example and a demonstration of the kind of life that he is inviting us to, the eternal kind of life, as I have been describing it, which includes intimate, interactive relationship with the Trinity. And something I have speculated is, and I think we all have at some degree, what was the relationship like that Adam and had, Eve had with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit prior to the fall? Was it not an unhindered, interactive, intimate relationship? Sounds like it. We don't have a lot of material there, but that's what it sounds like it's describing. The relationship that Jesus had with the Father and the relationship that he's inviting us to have. Last week, I talked about one aspect of the relationship between Jesus and the Father, which was what Jesus described when he said, the Son can do nothing on his own. And then in verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. When Jesus is describing in his words, I can do nothing, he is, also just, he is essentially describing in a similar way that everything he did, he did with the Father. I can do nothing on my own, so everything he did was with the Father. Jesus is describing a way of living, a way of being, a way of doing that is consciously and intentionally with God. Jesus did not live an independent, self-reliant life as we have been taught by our American society, but lived a relationally integrated life with the Father, Spirit, and others. So what are the other aspects of Jesus' relationship that are highlighted here in this passage? In verse 21, it says, Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whomever he wishes. So there is a, a partnership, uh, a cooperation 
and involvement together in the dispensing and giving of life. And we just kind of go, yeah, cool, right, got it. Well, yes and no, got it. Because this passage is going to reference condemnation and death, but this passage is about life. Second statement Jesus says is in verses 22 and 23, the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son so that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Anyone who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. So this is highlighting again, each one of these, this connectedness between father and son, and in other passages we can see spirit, and we say yes, yes, they are one. They are the Trinity, they are one. But there is an interactive of person, and we don't get how and what, but it's important to recognize that there is uniqueness and oneness. And I say that because... Uh, in two weeks from now, we're going to talk about what it means for us to be one with Jesus. And the week after that, actually on Easter, we're going to talk about what it means that we are to be one. And the idea, a model that we're given about what it means to be one is marriage. It's not the only metaphor that's out there, but clearly, Clara and I are unique persons, and yet we are declared by God to be one. So we're going to be investigating what that looks like. But here in this passage, there is this honoring of one another. And I've highlighted that before. There's this honoring or love of the other in the relationship of the Father and the Son and the Spirit that, that um fulfills the very thing that Paul spoke of when he said, uh, um, let each of you not think more highly about yourself, but consider others more important than you. Have this mind among you that was within Christ who laid down his life, who considered himself a servant. And so the father and the son, we think of a hierarchy because of the nature of father and son, and, and there probably is something, but in their relationship, it is purely mutual. It is purely honor, love, care, respect for the other with uh, a minimization of, hey, you know, you didn't, you didn't treat me very well this morning. You know, I, I have needs that need to get met. No, never happened. They so loved. And that's what we're called to. It's not about us. Life's not supposed to be about us. Jesus said the greatest commandments are love God and your neighbor, others. All right, as yourself, whatever in the world that means. That means taking care of ourselves. Maybe he should have said instead of yourself. Anyway. Third one, life in themselves. Just as the Father has life in himself, 
so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. This passage is about life. It's about the dispensing of life. It's about the availability of life that is within the Trinity that makes possible us to have the eternal kind of life now. Those are a few things that are just highlighted. This interactive relationship that we're being invited into is what's being demonstrated here. All right, what does Jesus say about judgment? I wrestled and wrestled with this through the whole week. Looking here, looking there, talking to the Holy Spirit, talking to Jesus. And as I sat down yesterday, I just uh, felt leading to simply walk through the statements that are in this text about judgment and see what we can uh, determine from them, what we can get from them. And I, I personally think we have some misunderstandings about God's judgment and what it means. So, first statement he makes, the Father judges no one. Now that should sound shocking. Of course the Father judges and will judge. Isn't there something about everyone standing before God at the last judgment? As a matter of fact, there is. And interestingly, what the Apostle Paul says is, in 2 Corinthians 5, 1-10, for all of us must appear before the Bema seat of who? Next. We should have a verse up there. I hope. No. Yep. No, I didn't highlight it. Forget it. Sorry, it's not there. For all of us must appear before the Bema seat of Christ. Jesus says, My Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. So according to Jesus, the Father's not the judge, He is. The Father has life within Himself. The Father can give life, so Jesus can give life. Then listen, what? and the Bema Seat is the tribunal uh, place of hearing cases, hearing law. You could call it then judgment, but it's really the, a place of discernment. Anyway, we're not there in that text tonight, today, but anyway, might look at it sometime on your own. They're all translated judgment, but it says Bema. Yeah, okay, onward. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Would you read that with me out loud? Very truly, I tell you, Anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come under judgment, but has passed, past tense, passed from death to life. Does that not sound like that's, you know, like that that happens now? Now, could someone, oh yes, that's right, that's all about the future. We're going to get eternal life in the future. We're not going to come under judgment in the future. And we're going to pass from death to life. I just can't get that anymore. Eternal life, Jesus said, is intimate, connected relationship with the Father. 
That's what's offered to us right now. And what happens when we hear and believe, place our trust in Christ, a transaction happens, and the life, death, and Christ covers our sin. He was a representative, and in Him we died and lived, died, and were raised again and sit at the right hand of God, Paul says, throwing in the end. Anyone and everyone who hears Jesus and believes the Father has eternal life, does not come under judgment, and has passed from death to life. Now, Nobody in this room has died before, have they? Anyone? Died and come back? That's not what he's talking about. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, begotten son, that they who believe in him would not perish, be ruined, experience death. The result of sin is perishing. It is death. It is a separation from life that over time becomes a kind of death that doesn't really have anything to do with our bodies stopping and we transitioning. The death to life here and in this passage, I believe, is a death to life that he's talking about on earth right now. We have already, past tense, passed from death to life. We have eternal life, and we, there is no judgment. There is no judgment of condemnation to come for us. Jesus did it all. Thank you. It is so. Friends, this is the good news of what Jesus has done for us. Can anyone say, yes, that's true? (laughs) Then Jesus says, just as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. What's the judgment that this statement is saying Jesus has execute authority to execute? It's a judgment of life. It's a declaration of life. It's not a judgment of condemnation. There is a judgment of condemnation. There is. We, somebody can say, no, thank you, God. And they keep saying that long enough and hard enough, they will perish. Their life will become ruined. They will lose life and find aloneness and separation from God and others. There is such a thing as judgment 
of condemnation, but it is simply the result of sin. It is the consequence of sin. Jesus is talking about authority to execute judgment to give life. That's what's been given to him. Then he says, Very truly I tell you, the hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of God, Son of God, and those who hear will live. He's not talking about the graves in this passage. He's simply talking about those who are the living dead on the earth today. The hour's coming and is now here when those who are dead, who are separated from God, who have no full grasp and understanding of God and His mercy and His love and His care, will hear the message. And they will come to life. That's what happened to you and to you and to you. And it is still happening. This is a process. We are coming to life. The judgment Jesus is speaking of here in these statements is the judgment to remove or lift the judgment of condemnation of sin to lead us from a life of death to a life of life and to give eternal life, to provide to us new life, eternal life that begins today and continues forever. And he gives that to those who hear and believe his words. Then he says something that sounds pretty confusing. But Claire and I think it's fairly clear. Do not be astonished at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and will come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I'm probably going to share an idea here that you've not heard because I hadn't thought of it till the last few years. Let me read it again. Do not be astonished at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in their graves, and you don't have to agree with me, by the way. It's, it's a way to understand this in light of eternal life, in contrast to the eternal condemnation that we often think about, though it is referenced. Do not be astonished at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and will come out, talking about graves here, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Let me ask you, who has done good? God? Jesus? Anybody else? Not according to the Apostle Paul. Romans 3, 10 through 12. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless, perished, non-usable. There is no one who does good, not even one. Who does good? No one. Who? Everyone. 
Romans 3.23. All, that's all. All means all. I looked at it in the Greek. All y'all who have sinned and fall, fall short of the glory of God. You've missed the mark. So here is a possible explanation that to Claire and I seems to make some sense out of this. At some point, all who are in their graves will hear Christ's voice and be raised. Those without Christ, all would be raised to a resurrection of condemnation. For all have done evil, and none are good except Christ. However, Jesus has come, he has tipped the scale and provided an alternative to those who have heard his voice and believed. Those who hear and believe already have eternal life prior to death because eternal life begins when we hear and believe, not after we die. Those who hear and believe do not come under judgment of condemnation. Not because we've done good, but because Jesus has. Taking the penalty for all people who have sinned and who lived, have lived missing the mark lives. Those in, who hear and believe do not come under a judgment of condemnation. None of us will face a judgment of condemnation. Jesus already did it. And because of what Christ did, his life, death, and resurrection, we all who have heard and believed will be raised like somebody who did good. But we didn't. We get off scot-free. Sort of. Those who hear and believe have already passed from death to life prior to what we call death. So they cannot, in my opinion, be raised to a resurrection of judgment of condemnation. When you stand before Jesus, he's going to look at you. When you stand before the throne, Jesus, because it's not God the Father, according to those two verses, which I had not bumped into significantly. When we stand before Jesus, who's going to be on a throne... He's going to look at us and said, say, you're in. You heard. You believed. You have eternal life. All right. That's a little stretch maybe, but something like that has to be happening there, in my opinion. If it doesn't line up with God being a judge and giving eternal life, now, will there be a judgment for Christians? Yes. But it will not be what you did bad. It's not going to be how you missed the mark. It's going to be how you lived your life according to the eternal life that he's given to you. We have been created for good works, Paul said. We have been created to be loving beings, to be like Jesus, extending that love and care to others. Ooh, 
Hey, look at that clock. No, I don't. All right, I have two more passages and then I'm done. Two more passages um, that I think will just maybe help us. From Jesus, John 3, 16 through 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. We got that. Going on. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that he, the world, might be saved. God did not send the Son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved. The authority to execute judgment that Jesus has is not the judgment of condemnation at this time. Those who believe in Him are not condemned. But those who do not believe are condemned already. Because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than life because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light, do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true, not good, true, come to the light that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done with God. Those who believe in him are not condemned. We have gone from death to life. Last one, John 12, 23 through 20, uh, John 12, 23 and 24, and then 27 through 32. Jesus said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus does not extend and execute condemnation to us. He extends life to us, but he executed judgment upon Satan and the world's systems. In the cross, Jesus 
executed judgment, delivering us from sin and condemnation and tearing down and breaking the power of the rule of death over our lives. No time to fudge this out, no, not fudge, uh, to flesh this out much more. I had some passages from Paul um, that are also very helpful that I hope uh, I can I can make them available. Maybe I'll, I'll send have Clara send them in an email. Just if you want to read these these other passages, some of you perhaps can do this kind of work on your own. But I believe that we've had a misunderstanding about judgment for Christians, and these passages clearly state that there's no condemnation for those who believe. There is going to be a throne with one passing out um, decisions, but that's going to be about our good works, what we do in Him, and they're just blessings. Think about the story of the talents. Um, yeah, all right, no time. Sometime we'll, other passages in the Scriptures will probably lead us to this. Let's pray. Papa, I... I think some of us here live under a sense of dread of future judgment. And that's just wrong. Those who believe have been delivered from judgment of condemnation. There is now no condemnation to those who love God and are called according to His purposes. There isn't any. There's not a future judgment of condemnation. It's already been done upon you, Jesus. You executed that judgment upon yourself and upon our world. So would you come now, Holy Spirit? Would you come and stir our hearts with the knowledge of your love and care for us that you have lifted and removed condemnation? There is now no condemnation upon those who believe. None. Instead, there is life to be lived. Would you help us to grasp what this really means? That we can put off the old, those failings, those places where we've, we're still missing the mark, not experiencing or living according to the fullness of of eternal life and, and to have our minds renewed as we're doing this morning and then to put on this new life that is Christ. Let it be so. I'm just going to give you a moment to consider, reflect what has been shared and to perhaps find something in here that you sense God impressing to you. What, what's God's invitation to you through this talk?
And then what's your response going to be? What's your response to his invitation? Thank you, God, for being with us. Spirit, Jesus, Papa, we welcome you. Have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, it is so. Hey, we've got people that will be up here to uh, pray with those of you who might wish to do that or share a struggle, something you're facing, a need that you have. So if you would like to have some prayer. Come on up, and we'll have people who can do that with you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.